Amen. Thank you, Brian. If you will, open your Bibles to the uh, very obscure book of Habakkuk, one of the Old Testament minor prophets. You'll turn in your Bibles to the major prophets, the Isaiahs and the Jeremiahs and the Ezekiels, and keep going towards your New Testament. You will eventually run into Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 3, we're going to read the last three verses of this uh, wonderful book. Again, beginning in verse 17. Again, Habakkuk chapter 3. I'm often faced with the challenge of selecting what it is that I will preach on a given Sunday. Um, this Sunday kind of fell in between a couple of things, and so it's what I call a standalone sermon. Uh, that is, uh, it's not in a series uh, such as our family series, our exposition of Romans, uh, our seasonal series doing Christmas and Easter and so forth and so on. And so as you kind of approach this, Lord, what would you have me to say uh, to these people? Uh, what, uh, and, and again, the, the Word of God is always relevant, it's always applicable uh, to us. And so uh, as I begin to, to think, and, and, and what's, what's pertinent uh, to the people of God uh, at North Clay uh, for, for our day? And I've told you many times over the now approaching 15 years that I've, I've served here, that a biblical perspective on the reality of suffering is essential. Uh, first of all, just for your sanity. And I mean that with all the seriousness that I can say it. I'm not trying to be silly. But certainly, for the sake of your joy, that if you think you're going to scoot and skate through this life, and uh, everything's going to go well, everything in those three categories, all your relationships are going to be perfect, uh, all the people you love are going to be healthy, and you're never going to have to deal with any financial problems, any job issues. You're, you're living in a fantasy world. For most of us, we experience challenges in all three areas, sometimes at the same time. And so how are we to, to think? Again, we know that He is able and that He can. So why don't you? The people of God have been asking, how long since the dawn of time? How long, O oh Lord? Why do you tarry? Why, why do the heavens seem silent? And the challenge. And the resounding answer of Scripture has always been and will always be. And the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous. That sounds so simplistic. That sounds so, well, you don't know what I'm faced with. Well, probably not. But I know you're faced with something as I reminded the deacons this morning, and I say often from this platform, I'm not on a pedestal. Yes, I suffer, and it, it's bad, it's terrible, but you do too. 
Many of you are going through things that I would think are more difficult than what I'm going through. And so how is it that we know the joy of the Lord in this land of the living, in this fallen world, that, that things happen around us, things happen within us, that absolutely shake us to our core. And yet I believe, I believe this, that it's always appropriate for God's people to rejoice in the Lord. Hear, hear the resolution of this ancient prophet from chapter 3. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olives fail, and all the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Now be sure you, you catch that again because we're not an agrarian society. Because you can go to the pig or to Publix, even when it hasn't rained in several months and the ground is parched underneath, you go get that head of lettuce and that tomato and that ear of corn and it might cost you a nickel or a dime more a pound, but we're kind of immune, we think, to those problems. But these people, when they saw the fruit shriveling on the vine, they knew the brink of starvation was coming upon them. And notice what he says, that I'm going to rejoice not because God always comes through with temporal supplies, but He always comes through with my salvation. He is always faithful in that. And so I will take joy not that it's all going to be okay. And as I say, I cannot tell you how many caskets and bedsides that I have st stood by. And I mean, it's almost like a, a power that comes upon me that wants to say, but it's all going to be all right. But I can't honestly say that, can I? Now, obviously, in, in the broadest, most eternal sense, yes. I promise you, it's going to be good. It's going to be great. But in that sense of temporal healing or the reversal of fortunes and all of these types of things, I can't promise that. That would be a lie. And it would be from the pit of hell. And it would certainly smell like smoke. And so this writer says, I will take joy Really, even not in my salvation, although that's something we take. It is in God Himself. John Piper wrote a book many years ago. God is the gospel. Folks, salvation is the gift of God, and our joy is in God and not in the stuff He gives us. And so, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's, He makes me tread on my high places. And evidently, this was something that Habakkuk was expired to, to record and to admonish those that sang in the gathering of the people of God to sing it. And so we should always be singing, it is well. We should forever be singing, it is well. Even if you don't, it is always well. And so with that, let us pray. Father, we thank you for the reality of your grace. And Lord, it is indeed an overcoming grace. 
a grace through which we overcome this fallen world, which is sure to pass away one day. All of the vanities of this life will disappear, but all of the things that have eternal value will endure forever and ever and ever. Lord, help us to decrease our appetite for the vanities. And Lord, to cultivate a robust appetite for the things that will be ours forever. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I know y'all look at me as the very meek, easygoing, you know, no hassle kind of guy, and that would be true. You know, never a don't be nodding your head back there now. <laughs> but I really I've been ill for about two or three weeks. Y'all would say, What's new with that? Don't you stay ill all the time? You act like it. But as I travel up and down old Springle Road, I saw a large banner slide in front of a church that promoted their divine healing campaign. Oh, that's interesting. I might let him start on my shoulder, and if he does well with that, I'll let him work on my plantar fasciitis, and then I'm going to bring Dale in. Now, I believe in divine healing, okay? I don't believe in divine healers. And so I finally stopped yesterday, and I took a picture of the sign. I said, I'll see who this cat is. And so I'm, I'm still not sure exactly who he is. The interesting thing was his statement of faith on his website, for, other than being kind of more Armenian than I would care for, pretty good, pretty solid. But basically that he is a divine healer. So I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with that. But I, I, I was telling Katie about it yesterday, and she was kind of like, eh, you know. And, and I mean, I'm thinking it from... Can I, can I cooperate with these people? Because remember this. What does God promise you in the gospel? He promises you forgiveness of sins. Period. And if you add the promise that he's going to heal, that he's going to give you fi good finances or whatever, have you added something to the gospel? I submit to you, you've diminished diminish that gospel and so that that's very troubling uh to me from enough from certainly my circumstantial perspective but from a theological perspective but again the question but why not and it goes back to the reading of scripture well why not people in the bible healed other people why not they, they spoke in tongues they did they did miracles they practiced polygamy Ruth might be a good advice on how single ladies should get a man, right? Go, go find him after the harvest and, and, and kind of curl up next to him there when he goes to bed. Sure way to get a man. That's what the Bible says. Is it not? That's in the Bible. And, and not to mention, and you know, kill the Amalekites. So if somebody ticks you off, shoot them. comes back to what? Are you going to rightly divide? Are you going to get the correct meaning by what the scriptures say? And that's not always so easy. 
That's why those Baptists and Presbyterians et al. ad nauseum. Okay? Because sometimes we can't even, we, we, yeah, that's what it says, but that's not what it means. And then you add that, and I was looking at another church's website, which I'm pretty familiar. And I, I you know, and I know the history, and I'm, I'm thinking, well, when they got mad, they went out and wrote their statement of faith. And basically, we believe the Bible, but, but what you believe about the Bible is more important than what the Bible says. That's getting on dangerous ground. That's setting yourself up for solidly, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so, what do we say to these things, and how do, how do we live? I mean, there are people running up and down the roads today. If I were to let them into my house, they would tell me that if I had enough faith, they'll be healed. In fact, we're talking about it today. Uh, you know, if I showed up and, you know, the said, you know, heal my shoulder, and, you know, next day it was still sore, well, you just ain't got enough faith. So that gets them out off, that gets them off the hook, right? Because it's not the divine healer, it's me. I don't have enough faith. And so what are we to make of these things? Because, again, there's things in the Bible that you go, well, why not? And so, again, rightly divided. What, what does this particular prophet, and, you know, there might be even people here that never even heard of this guy. Uh, shame on you if that's the case. But who is this guy? And, and if he's, he wrote 2,600 years ago, what does he have to say to me living here in Clay, Alabama, and the surrounding vicinity? I mean, my gosh. What, what could he say that would have any relevance? As he wrote watching his world fall apart before his very eyes. Uh, for those of you that gather on Wednesday night, and I, I was talking to the deacons this morning, um, we, kind of, we just kind of work through the books of the Bible, just consecutively, chapter after chapter, verse after verse, on and on and on and on and on and on and on. It goes and goes and goes. But you have a sense of what was going on in Habakkuk's day because it's the same thing that was going on in Jeremiah's day, in Ezekiel's day, in Daniel's day. Same thing that the, the books of Second uh, Kings and Second Chronicles tells us about from a historical perspective, about the, the, the demise and the decadence and the final destruction of Judah. And so Habakkuk writes in that time. And so I'm going to kind of survey the book very quickly before we come back to our text. And... See, I want you to see what he saw, experience what he experienced. And then I do think there is some application, some truth for us for 2018, Clay, Alabama. And so Habakkuk begins in chapter 1, if you just kind of flip back, with what I call unsettling questions. The first being, how long? I mentioned earlier that God's people have been saying. You go back and look at the Psalms. That's a frequent question. How long, O Lord? And what is he experiencing? It seems as though God does not hear. How many of us have prayed and you go, God, are you even listening? I would think all of us have. Prayers that that seem to be 
unanswered. And, and as he looked out on the world that he knew, this, this uh, uh, nation of, of Judah and this city of Jerusalem that, that was so decadent, yet they were supposedly God's people, and yet there was all kinds of great evil of violence taking place within this. And are you going to do nothing, God? Are you going to be idle? Look at verse 3. Why do you make me look at iniquity? And I think the idea is what's going on makes me sick. How many of us look at our culture today and say, it makes me sick? And then the question, why do you idly look at wrong? God, why do you sit up there in heaven? I know you can. Why don't you? It seemed like a great idea. And again, not to over-personalize this, it just seems like, God, heal Dale. Let her get out of this bed. End this thing. You can. There's not a question in my mind that you can. Why, don't, why are you idle? Are you not paying attention? Don't you feel like that sometimes? Please nod your head. Don't you feel like that sometimes? Why are you doing nothing? And again, in Habakkuk's day and in our day, notice verse 4, that justice is perverted. The law is paralyzed. Again, certainly we get the sense of that so many times that, that it is an unjust or an unjust uh, society. That, that evil seems to dominate that sense of righteousness. And where there's justice, it's distorted and perverted, which means what? There is no justice at all. And so he's looking at this. He is the man of God, supposedly living in the people, the, amongst the people of God. And he is perplexed. And God answers him. God answers him. In verse 5, God gives him what I call the unbelievable answer. The remedy to the situation is going to be a bunch of pagans just north of you. The Chaldeans, otherwise known as the Babylonians. And there's two kind of things it seems to, to be. I, you know, you survey the world, Habakkuk, and the unlikely remedy to this situation is going to be this bunch of pagans. And, and maybe in, at the time Habakkuk's looking at this, maybe they're not that great and powerful nation. This may have been, again, the dates we talk about a lot on Wednesday night, probably pre-605, before Ezekiel was deported to Babylon, maybe even before Babylon ultimately defeated Assyria and Egypt, and they were established as this predominant world power within the region. And so you're saying that that, that nation that you think is so puny, they're going to be the, the ones. And so... I'm going to raise them up. And, and again, look at verse 6. They're bitter and hasty. They, they are a, a, a violent people. And, and they march and they, 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 they will destruction uh, wherever they, they go. And, and they take things that do not belong to them. And people tremble as they hear of them and as they, they see them. Look there at verse 7. Justice and dignity go forth from themselves. What does that mean? It's really kind of a parallel to remember from the book of Judges 
And every man did what was right in his own eyes because Israel had no king. That's very much in the modern vocabulary. Well, this is what's right for me. This is, how, this is what I feel is right. I am the, the barometer. I am the discerner of that which is true and that which is right. The, the, my moral compass establishes for me what I should do and what I shouldn't do. And that all sounds well and good. You know, recently, um, the former FBI, FBI director, Comey, wrote a book. And he, I forget the exact language he, he used, but he talked about basically his personal moral compass, which basically got him in a lot of trouble. And the point was this, if, if what you, how you discern right and wrong is strictly internal and personal, you will eventually go off the chart. You better have something external to you that discerns and determines what's right and wrong and true, namely the Word of God. They establish what's right. And here, just, just as a kind of a side point of application, here's sometimes when I, when I struggle when our ambassadors and whoever it is, Secretary of State and whatnot, as a nation, this is just kind of peripheral. When they go out and start negotiating treaties with pagan nations, of course, we're not far from a pagan nation. It's not that I'm thinking we're vastly superior morally to other nations. But when you negotiate with a, with, with a, a communist, when you negotiate with a, a, someone with an Islamic worldview, then that which is right is what advances their particular cause. They have no trouble signing a treaty and a day later breaking it. Okay, because what? Because it's good for us to go this direction. Okay? And, and so many people in life are just like that. Whatever's good for me is what's right and true. Okay? And so that's the way the Chaldeans, the Babylonians were. They were, they were powerful. They were the, the, the might makes right kind of people because their, their horses were, were powerful and, and they were swift and, and their soldiers were, were, were like ravenous wolves. And they, they, they're like a, a, a vulture or a bird of prey soaring in the heavens waiting for that animal to, to, to scurry out and they can swoop down and devour that animal. That's the way they are poised, ready to attack. And they are an arrogant and a fierce people there in verses 8 uh, through 11. They, they, they scoff at any seeming authority, at, at rival kings. They have the manpower and the wherewithal to destroy any fortress. fortress. And so they sweep through the countryside like the wind. And so they're a terrible people. They're a violent people. They're a, a vicious people. But that's the answer to Habakkuk's question. How are you going to deal with the injustice, with the moral decadence that's going on in and among my people and in and among your people? And then Habakkuk is allowed to question further. Go to verse 12 in chapter 1. I call it the uneasy follow-up. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you've ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for proof. Now Habakkuk's beginning to get the message. You know, the writers of the Old Testament particularly 
don't seem particularly interested in protecting the reputation of God. In the sense of, in our culture today, if it's bad, it comes from the devil. And if, it's, if we like it, it's from God. But Isaiah, God says through Isaiah, I create the light and the darkness. I create the evil and calamity. It, it's, it, this is part of what I do. Again, shall the destruction come to the city, and let, except I caused it, according to Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations. And so Habakkuk understands that this suffering is something that God has ordained. He's established it for their judgment and for their reproof and for their refinement and ultimately for their preservation, for the preservation of the gospel, for the preservation of the message through which we're saved. It was harsh and it was difficult. It's hard for us to, to fathom. But again, Habakkuk goes on in verse 13. How can God, you're holy, you're pure. How do you, how do you remain silent? And the wicked swallows up the man more righteous. In other words, if we were to get on a scale, yes, we in Judah are bad, but the Chaldeans are, are worse. They're worse. That's what you're going to allow is for them to overcome your people. And, and so it just seems like, I mean, that just doesn't seem quite right because they're so vile, they're so cruel, they're so wicked, and they're even idolaters. They, they, they sacrifice to various gods, including their, their nets and all of the things that they have by which they enrich themselves. And so... Habakkuk watches, and he wonders, and he, and he questions, why, why is this coming? Why, why, why God, if you're, if you're who you say you are, you're good, and you're holy, and you're loving, and you're powerful, how can this be? And in verse 1 of chapter 2, we, we see a bit of his coming around. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower, and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. In other words, I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to see how all of this unfolds. I'm going to continue to proclaim the truth in my day, no matter what, no matter what the consequences. God goes on in verse uh, chapter 2, verse 2, what I call the unchanging truth. And that's where we see in verse 4. Again, justice is going to come. It's going to come without delay. Notice verse 4 now. Behold his soul. Behold the Chaldeans. It's puffed up. It's not upright. They are proud. They are arrogant. They're sinful. Justice is going to come. But while you're waiting, what? And this is a, verse, a phrase we see quoted three times in the New Testament. One of them in... Romans chapter 1, verses 16 17, the great anthem of the Reformation, but the righteous shall live by faith. God, I trust you. God, I trust you. I don't understand the whys. But you know, to some degree I understand the whos. That makes sense? I don't understand the whys. I don't. But I do have some understanding of the whos. And so, we live by faith, even when it's 
sure doesn't feel like it. And so that justice is ultimately going to come. And, and beginning in verse 6, you see five woes. In other words, what? God is going to punish them. And I've, I've said over and over on Wednesday night, one of the difficult things for us. God made a covenant with Israel. They agreed to it. We're going to live this way. Then they didn't. God said, if you don't, I'm going to punish you. They didn't. He did. God uses this nation, this bunch of pagans, to come and sin against the nation of Judah. Okay, they sinned. They came in and were violent and vicious and cruel. And then God held them accountable for doing what he says he raised them up to do. And he judged them for their evil. Kind of seems like a double jeopardy or something, doesn't it? But again, that's how God shows the world. He's God. And again, we can always say the Babylonians did exactly what they wanted to do, which was be a cruel, vicious, vile, and violent people. Okay? So the world that, that Habakkuk knew and knows is going to be destroyed. But what? We simply wait for the day. We cry sometimes, how long? We cry sometimes, God, are you going to just sit idly by forever? Are you not going to intervene? God, I feel the weight of, of such sorrow. How many of you have, have felt the crushing weight of sorrow to the extent? I don't want to get out of bed. I don't, I don't want to face the world. I don't want to go into work. I don't want to go to church even. Yeah. You know, I, I, there's a lot of pe reasons people miss church, and, and, and there's a few that are legitimate, but for the most part, they're not. But I truly believe that many people miss church because they feel so bad they can't stand to be among God's people, which says something about us because, you know, what? That, that's why it's important to hug people's necks. That's why it's so important to speak to them and, and try to encourage them. Folks, we're all living in a fallen world, every single one of us. And the suffering, it just rolls on and on and on and on. It, it just comes. It comes in waves. And, you know, as, as I thought about kind of where I am right now, you know, I told you a few years ago, I was stupid. And I acted like an idiot. Okay. There's a, that's double. Okay. I went into the ocean when the red flags were out. Hey, I never claimed to be the sharpest knife in the drawer. Okay. And again, I didn't have to be rescued, but I thought it was going to have to be. And it scared me. I mean, it, it sobered me up. And da da da. So, but I mean, I thought for a moment, this is it. Okay. And my son was sitting on the beach watching it all happen. And, I mean, they, he went and called, got somebody. I mean, the ambulance was on the way. They thought this guy's gone. And so I got out and so forth. But I know what it's like to be caught in that undertow. And I'm telling you, it's scary. But here's my point. That's the way I feel most days with the sorrows of life. I feel like I'm being drugged down and I'm fighting the current every day. John Piper writes and speaks about fighting for joy. That's why this sermon, I have to fight for joy every moment of every day. 
to not sink to the very depth of despair, to be reminded that God is the ultimate reward for God's people, not the stuff, not the stuff. And you, 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 can't, you cannot, you cannot set your focus on the vanities of, of this world. I don't know which is worse. To have all of these applaudable, laudable goals and reach them and find out it's all vanity. Where do you go after that? Where do you go when, when you got the ring, whether it's the wedding ring or the championship ring or whatever, you know, where do you go when you, when you get what it is that you thought was the ultimate and your heart's still empty? Boy, that's danger, danger, Will Robinson then. Yeah. Or what do you do when you don't reach that goal? Either way. How do you live? How, how, how do you deal with the crushing realities of loss and suffering and defeat? Well, to be sure, to be sure, again, there will be justice. There will be judgment for all that oppresses us. And chapter 3, and I, I'm, I'm going to have to cut this short. I'm running, running out of time. Great phrase in verse 2. In wrath, remember mercy. Wow. Wow. What a great concept. What a great, great concept. Lord, I want to see justice. Remember mercy. In that I deserve your wrath. I deserve it. Be merciful to me, a sinner. And so Habakkuk comes to this conclusion. He surveys it all. My world is coming apart at the seams. That's, that's the summary. How many of us can say, as I've told you many times, my life is not what I planned it to be and never will be? Probably most of us. Probably most of us could could say that uh, many of you saw yesterday. Yesterday would have been my mother's 92nd birthday. She spoiled five grandchildren. How much she would have loved to spoil what's going to be four great-grandchildren. Okay, as, as I have to remind my children, that's not the woman that raised me. Uh, some alien invaded her body in 1979. And uh, so, you know. But at any rate, all of those things. And on and on it goes. But... This is the conclusion that Habakkuk comes to, and it's the only conclusion. It's the only one. It's the only answer. That though life is difficult, again, agricultural term, the harvest fails. Okay? Now, what does that could represent a number of things in our lives? Our relationships fail, our health fails, or the health fails of someone we love, or maybe our finances fail. Or all of them together fail at one time. Certainly, health and finances have a way uniquely of going together. Ever gotten a bill from a hospital? Yeah. Okay. Enough said. So, what is the resolve? Yet I will rejoice that not that it's going to be okay, that, that I'm going to get my way, that, that my whims are going to be, to be met. That, that God is going to...
going to provide the emotional healing, the physical healing, the temporal resources, the, the, the person that's going to complete me. Folks, if, if that's your thought, very likely you're going to be disappointed. But God never, ever disappoints. He always delivers. And so I will rejoice not in God's stuff, but in God. The God who sent His Son, the God whose Son was raised from the dead, the God whose Son will return and who will ultimately deliver me from this world. Again, in American society, I think we we have just enough to give us the illusion that we have enough. Something like that. That that we that we're just prosperous enough to think that's enough. But when it all comes crashing down, we find out it's nothing. And that what I must do is look beyond the horizons of this world and see that, that God is my, my refuge. He's my ever-present hope in the times of, of trouble and that I will rejoice. And notice, that is an active verb. I will take joy. In other words, it's not that I'm going to sit on my asset that I'm going to sit here and go, God bless me and make me happy. That is an active concept that I'm going to pursue by the ordained means. That is, we want to go off and do everything under the sun and say, God bless it and make me happy. Where God has ordained that we gather around His Word as God's people to together say, God is good, God is faithful, even if you don't, I will serve you, I will worship you. Right? And that is enough for me. And so, I am going to rejoice, even when I want to cry. And folks, I can't tell you the days that I want to sit there and cry. I sat there uh, this week, watched my little grandson Crawl up on the leash. He's pulling up now. He's into everything. I mean, they, they don't make enough barbed wire to keep that kid out of stuff. And he crawls up on Dale's leg. She's sitting there in a recliner, oblivious that she has this precious grandchild that she would just swoon over. And she will never, ever know. Okay? She'll know one day in heaven. Tragically, I think that day is drawing very, very near. I truly do. But she will never, you know, my hope is not that we're going to take a great beach trip one day as a family, as good as that is. And if you've got an opportunity to do it, go do it. I commend you for doing it. But it ain't going to ever happen. But my hope is not in that. It can't be in that. My hope is in Him, and I must rejoice in Him, in Him alone, in His salvation and promise of His presence to cheer and to guide in the tough times. And they're sure to come. All of, 
I could have taken the lighter fluid to that sign and lit a match to it. That stuff makes me so mad. When you add the poison of that junk to the gospel, it is no gospel at all. It is no gospel at all. The gospel is this. I gave you my son, and I will continue to give him to you, and he will be enough till the day you see me. That has changed me. That has made me. And in that, I'm going to sweat. I'm going to work. I'm going to discipline my mind to not deal with all the junk that's in my life right now. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to take joy because there are so many things around me right now that want to take that joy. I'm going to take joy. Not because it's going to get better. It may not. But I can rejoice in the Lord. And in that, in that, we must be content. Let us pray together. Father, thank you for your word. I always tremble that I've misrepresented or not stated with clarity or missed something. And so, Lord, as always, whatever is accomplished is for your glory. And it's through the work of your spirit, not by me, by any. It is through you. And so, Lord, I ask you to work. There are people here today that need to be comforted. That their life is difficult. And again, there's always people here that need to be convicted. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work, and you'd work powerfully among us and in us. And God, that we would be found faithful and you would be glorified. And Lord, this community, Clay, Pinson, Trustful, Center Point, Springville, and everything in between would know that we are a people that have a permeating joy of the Lord. And we pursue rejoicing in you and you alone. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Going to sing a, a hymn.